Hello everybody, this is Justin Jackson, host of the Justin Time Sports Podcast, where in today's episode we'll be talking about the Last Dance documentary and the NFL schedule release. Now get back and get ready to learn something. Alright guys, so welcome into the newest episode of the Justin Time Sports Podcast, and we're going to start off today with the Last Dance documentary. I think these are the best two episodes so far. It shows Michael Jordan's crazy addiction to competition. I don't think he had a gambling problem necessarily because like he said, if he had a gambling issue, he would be putting liens against his house and borrowing money from friends, stuff like that. But he had a competition problem. He bounced quarters off a wall against Taft Stafford's pregame to try and not even take your money necessarily, but just to have a sense of competition. He played cards against teammates. He constantly competed in anything he can compete against in. He bet large sums of money on single golf holes, and it got him into some trouble, which I think did directly lead to him retiring the first time. His image took a massive hit after the gambling situation. He was caught up with some really shady characters like Slim Bowler, and uh, the guy who alleged that Mike owed him $1.2 million from different bets on the golf course. That might tend to bet a lot because it's the ultimate competition of himself. But Jordan did say he never bet on his team. He never bet basketball. He only bet golf because it was the one thing. He was basically betting on himself and adding pressure to competition situations, which could show why he was so good in clutch time because he was used to constantly having to bet money so for golf competitions to make it comparison to a real life NBA game it also showed the pressure he was under I mean massive amount of pressure as the world's most famous athlete in a time where he was the only basketball player on the scale because when he signed his deal David Falk his agent said that they were trying to get him a deal like a tennis player like an Arthur Ashe or somebody like that who were solo stars you know they had their own equipment they had their own advertisements with the McDonald's and stuff like that and they were trying to get Jordan on that same level and it showed that Nike wasn't the guy uh, Nike is such a powerful brand these days people may have think that Nike was always the big shoe company but Phil Knight's Nike crew was the last ones major on the scene Adidas was there Converse ruled the NBA with Magic and Larry they had everybody wearing a Converse and Nike was the newest guy on the scene which is why Jordan wanted to be an Adidas guy because he wore Adidas in college. He was used to the shoe. And so he wanted to stick with that out in the NBA. But Nike paid him such a large amount of money to come 250 grand when the normal guy his age was getting 100 grand. And then two and a half times more than what he was willing to take. And if it wasn't for his parents, he wouldn't have even flown the trip to go to Nike to see that out. Partly in that today, that could be a 50, 60 billion dollar error by not offering the kid more money um adidas or converse may have lost 50 to 60 billion dollars and being the inarguable kings of the shoe game by not signing michael jordan right out of unc by coming up to nike's number of 250 grand as opposed to the 100 grand that both of them were probably offering giving that was the standard deal for an athlete of his time but it showed the fame monaco practice between magic's five and michael's five Magic had retired already due to the HIV controversy, but he still, in his mind, believed that had he not contracted HIV and been forced to retire, that he would still be running the NBA. 
that by no means would it be Michael's league. It would still be Magic's league. And that Michael had to prove to him that it was his time. Now, Michael had just come off winning back-to-back, including one over Magic squad. But the Lakers always retool when they have a superstar. So by no means did Magic have a legitimate reason to think it's Michael's league. Now, I don't have a shot. And by the end of that practice, Magic and Larry conceded that there's a new sheriff in town. There's a new guy in town. And the league now belongs to Michael. It also showed the 92 finals, which I think had the most interesting element to it. And it showed Michael Jordan's next level competitive streak. He began to read articles or hear articles or hear things saying comparing him and Clyde Drexler. And he went out in that series to prove that unequivocally he was better than Clyde Drexler. Everybody in the world knew that Michael Jordan was better than Clyde Drexler. Clyde Drexler knew that Michael Jordan was better than Clyde Drexler. Everybody knew that Michael Jordan was considerably better than Clyde Drexler. But it is that ability to drum up motivation where there might not be any. Drum up a headline. Make up a story if you have to to get you ready to play and to get you prepared to be at your absolute best. It led to the six threes and a half and the absolute destruction of the Portland Trailblazers in the finals and led to the Chicago Bulls hoisting another trophy. Another very interesting part was when Charles Barkley entered the fray. It showed younger fans who may just think of Charles as a talking head on TV and not really grasping his talent level that when the Suns and the Bulls played in the finals, Charles Barkley was a league MVP that season. Jordan used that as motivation and saying they may have given you that, but I'm going to get this in terms of the ring. But it showed Charles Barkley scoring a lot of points, playing very well, dominating that series. If he didn't go up against Jordan's Bulls, he Charles Barkley probably has one or two, maybe even more championships under his resume because he flat out dominated that series. It got to the point, though, Jordan's onslaught where Barkley said for the first time in my life, I thought that was somebody better in the world at basketball than me, which was an eye opener because that was 92, 93. Most of the world, if not all of the world, had conceded that Michael Jordan is either the best to ever live, but he's definitely the best player in the NBA. And for Charles Barkley to openly admit that it took that series, specifically one of the games in that series, to change his mind that he wasn't the best player in the world, that it was Michael Jordan, was very interesting. Now, the next episodes of The Last Dance, I believe, will be the flat-out best episodes, but also the hardest to watch. This will involve his father's murder. This will involve him retiring and going to baseball. This will involve his return and the year that the NBA tried to erase. The NBA just tried to make it seem like once Jordan started winning in 91, every season he played, Dully was a wizard. He won. Breaking news, he came back. With 17 games left in the season, lost to the Magic in the second round. Now, I know people will say that he only played 17 games. I agree. And I believe, should it be counted against him? No, probably not. But it happened. We can't just erase the tapes like it never existed. But on another note, I believe this will be the hardest episodes to watch. Um, just as a fan, just as a human in general, to watch him go and relive the emotions of his father's murder or to 
see him playing baseball because he's basically forced out of the NBA in the middle of his prime at age 30 and 31 to seeing his triumphant return. But also, it will give us a look at the Bulls without him. They won 54 games the full year they played without him and had a good shot of coming out of the East. Uh, we're going to show the classic clip of Scottie Pippen pointing to the bottom of his Air Jordans, basically saying, Mike, please come back, please come back. It would be very interesting to hear Michael Jordan's firsthand account and his retelling of why he decided to come back. Now, he's simply just put in the Chicago newspaper two words, I'm back. He was 45, not 23, but he was still Michael Jordan. And I'm very interested to hear what ultimately brought him back to the game of basketball. There was no reason for him to come back. He was universally regarded as the best player ever for the most part. Chicago, when he retired, said he was the best there is and the best there was. He had three championships. He had the MVPs. He had the scoring titles. He had the slam dunks. There was no reason, theoretically, to come back to basketball. He could have kept playing baseball until he got tired of being an athlete and then decided to walk away. His competitive fire, I believe he would have eventually became a at least borderline major league baseball player. But to have the desire to come back to basketball after a year and a half is very interesting. So I'd be interested to see his timeline and working out, his timeline and getting back to the game that he fell in love with. And I, that is what I look forward to coming up in the next episode of The Last Dance. And with the NFL schedule dropping last night, I took my time. I broke down all the games and we'll be touching on the NFL schedule release and what my expectations are for the upcoming season. Alrighty, the NFL schedule released last night and because I am a absolute football nerd, I was very excited about this. So excited, in fact, that I teased you guys with it last week that I was going to break down all the games, talk about all the divisions, and I was just going to do that. I was just going to do win-loss, tell you my thoughts on the schedule, whether I had harder schedules, I had easier schedules, all that stuff. And then I was like, well, why not carry it out? So I'm going to give you guys my playoff predictions, including the new seven-seed NFL playoff format. And I'm going to give you guys my Super Bowl predictions, all of that. We're going to start off with a bang. We're going to start football season off with a boom. And we're going to start off in the NFC East or the NFC least, depending on who you ask. And my division winner there will be the Eagles at 10 and 6. The Cowboys coming in second at 8 and 8. And the Giants and the Redskins finishing at 5 and 11. Obviously, the NFC East is a massive toss up. They haven't had the same champion two years in a row in, I believe, about a decade. But I think the Eagles break the streak this year. The Cowboys have too much going on in the locker room, or lack thereof, with Dak Prescott not being signed. They brought in Andy Dalton, which, let's say Dak decides, I'm holding on all year and I'll just hit for agency in a year. Could they, in turn, win 10 games with the Andy Dalton and win this division? Sure they could. Do I think Andy Dalton will play? No, I do not. I think they'll get a deal done with Dak, and he'll be on the center for the Cowboys. But I think all that dissension will really slow them down. The Giants have a new staff. With this virus, it's slowing a lot of new staffs down. They can't get the same level of preparation that a new staff would get. The NFL even grants extra camps and extra meetings to new staffs to try and help curb the tide and to incentivize 
coaches to work a little bit harder and get a little bit more in the rules with new staffs or quarterbacks. And I believe the Redskins will go through the same thing. They have a quarterback situation that they're not sure of in Dwayne Haskins. Ron Rivera will be there. He'll have a new staff, and they'll struggle there at 5-11. But I believe the Eagles will win the NFC East at 10-6. and And now we'll move on to the NFC South, where I believe the division winner will be Tom Brady's Bucks at 11 and 5, followed by the Saints at 10 and 6, the Falcons at 8 and 8, and the Panthers at 6 and 10. Now I think that the Bucks will win because they get the benefit of not having the first place schedule in the division. The Saints will start off fast, so will the Bucks, but I believe ultimately the Bucks will outlast them. The Bucs have a little bit better weapons. The Saints have the disadvantage of playing the first place schedule. And all in all, I just think that the Bucs are a little bit better football team at this present time. The Falcons will come in third at 8-8. Atlanta has a lot of talent, but they're having a coach situation of their own in Dan Quinn. He's one of the hottest hot seats in the NFL. They picked up Ty Gurley, which is a great addition based on name. Ty Gurley has two degenerating knees. We're not sure how long they're going to last up, if they're going to last up. And so they'll struggle there. Atlanta is a team looking to try to find an identity. I don't think this is a good year with Teddy Bridgewater moving into the Division IV Panthers team under a new offensive coordinator in Joe Brady, who we saw what he did at LSU last year. You got Tom Brady moving into the Division for a very talented Bucks team where Jameis Winston threw for 5,030 touchdowns. And had he not had a league-high 35 turnovers, that Bucks team probably wins 10 or 11 games and gets in the playoffs themselves with Jameis at quarterback. So I think Atlanta's still trying to find continuity and identity will struggle more than that talent will suggest they struggle. They go 8-8. Eight and eight. But all in all, I think the Bucks win a division at 11-5. Now we move on to, in my opinion, the best division in football in the NFC West. I believe the Seahawks and the 49ers will tie at 11-5, but the 49ers will get the division win, and the Seahawks will end up in the wild card. I believe that the Rams will go 10-6, and and Arizona will go 9-7. Now, I know it is almost effectively impossible for all four teams in the division to go 9-7 or better, to have a positive winning record. But I believe that these teams are so talented that one of the few teams they will lose to in any of their schedules is the people in their division. I mean, you have to lose division games. You play play six of them. So I believe that they will beat up on people outside of their division, especially Arizona getting a fourth-place schedule. A talented Rams team trying to find its way. But I believe Sean McVay can get that ship corrected. And then the 49ers is arguably the best team in the league. And then you got a very talented and identified Seattle team that know what they're doing behind one of the best quarterbacks in football in Russell Wilson. I believe this division will be close. I believe that all the games in this division will be an absolute war. There will be no pushovers with all contrasting styles. You've got Seattle, power run game. They're going to line up, try and come directly at you, and then naked boot Russell Wilson to get him on the outside, to get one of those speed receivers and Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf. You've got San Francisco's outside zone scheme, play action, set up Jimmy Garoppolo to throw it across the middle or to get the ball deep. You've got the Rams, the kings of the 11 personnel, which is one tight end and one running back, usually out of a single back set. 
looking for play action, looking for the first two or three steps to every play, looking almost identical so a player can't jump around early and maybe intercept the pass off an RPO concept. And then you've got the modified air raid in Arizona, led by Kyler Murray and his new weapon in DeAndre Hopkins, who will be looking to spread you out. Maybe they hand the ball anyway on a power run concept, but it would be out of a shotgun with four receivers wide or maybe even out of 11 personnel like the Rams, except instead of being under center, they'll be in the shotgun, which is the concepts of a modified air raid that Cliff Kingsbury brought to the NFL. But all in all, I think this is the best division in football. I think it's the most competitive division in football, but the 49ers take it in a tiebreaker over the Seahawks, and the 49ers win the NFC West. And to finish off the NFC, we have the NFC North. I believe the Packers take a massive step back to 7-9. and nine. This is a team that has a bunch of infighting. You've got reports coming out about how Matt LaFleur is over Aaron Rodgers' antics. You have the management team sending a clear message to Aaron Rodgers that his time in Green Bay is numbered by drafting Jordan Love in the first round. You have Green Bay winning a lot of close games that could have went either way last year. And every time a team does that, especially in recent history, they come back to the mean. They come back closer to what they were supposed to be instead of winning eight one-possession games or having five or six game-winning drives in the last two minutes. They start losing those games. So instead of eight, they get three, which instead of a 13-3, 12-4 record, they end up with a 7-9 and nine record. Vegas has them at nine wins. So that tells you that even Vegas is thinking that they come back this year. I've got them at 7-9. and nine. The Lions go 5-11. and 11. The Lions are still struggling. Matt Patricia's era in Detroit ultimately ends this season. I don't think he can sustain a 5-11 and 11 record, even with the promise of having the opportunity to draft a Justin Fields or a Trevor Lawrence. I just think that management will decide to move on and to bring in a new coach to lead the new era post-Matt Stafford, who I ultimately believe will be moved after this season as well. And so they'll bring in a new head man to lead the new era in Detroit. I believe the Vikings win the division at 9-7. and seven. You lost your offensive coordinator to Cleveland and Kevin Stefanski to be their head coach. You trade away Stephon Diggs, although you do bring in a quality replacement in Justin Jefferson. He's not yet a top 10 or 15 receiver like Stephon Diggs was. And he ultimately plays in the slot, which is a lot of times where Adam Thielen plays. So it'd be very interesting to see the new coordinator try and manage two primary slot receivers. And I believe the Bears come in second place in the division with an eight and eight record. I would give them a couple of more wins and maybe even win this division if it wasn't for their quarterback and Mitchell Trubisky and the impending quarterback quandary with Nick Foles being there. Nick Foles has a massive contract that the Bears cannot move for at least a season, possibly two, in order to avoid a massive cap hit. You've got a head coach in Matt Nagy who knows Nick Foles. So what if Trubisky comes out in the first couple of weeks and struggles? Maybe they start off one and two or two and two, and Trubisky has six and six interceptions and five touchdowns. Maybe Nick Foles runs on the field to start week five. And it'll be a situation where they have not a ton of name brand talent on offense and a quarterback arguably going into his last year that they have to figure that out a head coach trying to figure out an offensive game plan. And you've got that kind of situation. It's just not very conducive to success. But I believe they have a good enough defense and the soldier field weather, especially in the winter, to get to an 8-8 record and come in second in the NFC North.
So that leads to my playoff picture in the NFC. I have the 49ers as the one seed, the Bucks as a two seed, the Eagles as a three seed, the four seed is the Vikings, the five seed is Seattle, and the six seed is the Saints, and the new seven seed will be the Rams. The reason I say new is because again, in the new collective bargaining agreement, they added a playoff team to either side. So there's now three wildcard teams. First round would be Eagles versus Saints, in which I have the Saints advancing. Then next would be the Vikings versus Seattle, which I have Seattle advancing. And then I would have the Rams going to the Bucks, in which the Bucks would advance. From there, you get the 49ers against the Saints, in which I have the Saints taking out the 49ers in San Francisco. Um, that'll be the mild upset of the playoffs. That'll be the first big shocker of the playoffs. Will be the Saints taking out the 49ers. I believe Drew Brees is trying to make a run, and this would be their big upset. And then I have the Bucks beating Seattle. I believe that Tampa's offensive weapons would just be too much for Seattle's run-style offense. Seattle's offense is designed to play a 21-17 kind of game, a 2014 kind of game. I believe Tom Brady's Bucks will be consistently in the 30s, so it'd be hard for Seattle to physically keep up. And then that will bring it to Saints at Bucks. I fought hard with this decision, but I ultimately went with Tampa Bay due to home field advantage. If it was in New Orleans, I would go to New Orleans. But ultimately with teams this close, pretty much the rosters almost mirror each other. Um, I had to go with the team that had home field advantage. And so I have the Bucks representing the NFC in the Super Bowl in their home stadium, which would be the first team to do it which is another factor of why I almost didn't select the Bucks to get out because it was in their home stadium. But ultimately, I decided to do the home field advantage. The Bucks would get out and represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. All right, guys, we're back. And now we're going to talk about the AFC. We're going to start off in the AFC East or just like the NFC, the AFC least, depending on who you ask, which used to be called the AFC Patriots division. But it is no longer that way with Tom Brady exiting to going to Tampa. And so I believe the division winner will be an 8-8 eight and eight Bills team. They will win a division, which will be the worst in football based on the records of the champion. And the Bucks get out 8-8. Eight and eight. It will be an ugly division. There will be a lot of low-scoring games, a lot of defensive football. But I believe that the Bills will ultimately come out on top. I believe the Patriots come in second at 7-9. and nine. It'll come down to the end, but I believe that the Pages will go 7-9. They'll struggle with Jared Stidham scoring points offensively. Their defense can't possibly be as great and as all-time as it was just last season, so I believe that they will come back to the pack. They also have the hardest schedule in football, so if you stick Jared Stidham or Bryant Hoyer behind that team, that's not a lot of great offensive weapons. I mean, the best offensive player may be Joe Tunney, who's a guard, but we talk about skill position, the best skill player is James White, Julian Edelman, Sony Michelle, who didn't play a whole ton last year. And so given that and their schedule, I'm gonna go with the pages being seven and nine. And I believe the Dolphins and the Jets both go six and ten. And I believe the Jets are your way. What they are your way is they are a draft away. They're gonna have a top pick, not in need of a quarterback. They're in need of weapons. You're going to have guys like Jamar Chase coming out of LSU. You're going to have other talented players coming out. 
in which case the Jets could get their number one receiver in the draft next season. And I believe the Dolphins are just continuity away. A couple more weapons, same thing. They're in need of a receiver. They're in need of a great running back. They're in need of a couple of more pieces defensively to really take the next step. Now, could all these records be wrong in the AFC East? Absolutely. This is the division that has, I believe, the most volatility. Could Tua start week one and bring the Dolphins to 9-7 and seven win this division? Absolutely. Could Sam Darnold catch fire in New York and win four or five games in a row and get them to 8-8, eight 9-7 eight, win this division? Absolutely. Could Jared Stidham win a couple of games for the Pages that I don't think he'll win? Absolutely. And go 9-7 win this division. Could the Bills go 11-5, and 12-4 and just run away with it just as easily? So... The AFC East has a lot of volatility in it, but I believe the Bills will win it at 8-8. Eight and eight. And that brings us to the AFC South, where I have the Colts under their new quarterback in Phillip Rivers winning the division at 10-6. Houston has had a kind of a grip on this division, especially since Andrew Luck's retirement. But I believe that since they traded away DeAndre Hopkins, and then you've overpaid for guys like Laramie Tunsil, and you overpaid for Randall Cobb, and you're depending on Will Fuller. These guys have injury concerns. These guys have off-the-field concerns. And I think that would lend to a lot of issues with Deshaun Watson having to carry another under-talented football team with a head coach and a decision-maker in Bill O'Brien that I don't think anybody is a huge fan of. I just don't. I don't think he's a very good general manager. He's a coach. He's acceptable. He's decent because he's won a division a few times in his coaching career. You don't win a division by being terrible, but I don't think he's the best thing for Deshaun Watson's long-term career. But I do think that Deshaun has the ability and the talent to carry them to 9-7. I believe the Titans also go 9-7, but the Texans end up taking their tiebreaker and getting in. And I believe the Jaguars go 5-11 in the Gardner Minshew era, which I believe ultimately ends the Gardner Minshew era. I believe that another quarterback will be in Jacksonville after this season, but management decided to go with Gardner Minshew for this year, maybe positioning themselves for Field or Lawrence or another top quarterback next season. Then that brings us to the AFC West, where I have the Chiefs winning at 12-4, followed by the Chargers at 9-7, the Raiders, the new-look Las Vegas Raiders, go 8-8, eight and eight, and the Broncos bring up the rear at 6-10. and 10. Obviously, the Chiefs are the defending champions, and they only got better. They brought back 20 of their 22 starters. They got an instant upgrade at the running back position by drafting Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And on top of that, they're getting another year of continuity. And all of the franchises in their division have a major change. The Raiders are changing states. The Chargers are already eyeing their future with Justin Herbert in a new stadium. And the Broncos are changing their philosophy. They're moving towards a more of a two running back system. You can see how their draft picks were set up. They drafted Alabama wide receiver Jerry Judy to pair with Cortland Sutton and Noah Fant. And then you have the offseason acquisition of Melvin Gordon to go against Philip Lindsay. You can put any of those combinations of guys on the field and give their young quarterback and Drew Locke an opportunity to succeed. But I think that with that change of identity and having so many new pieces and new cogs, they'll go 6-10. and 10. And that brings us to the AFC North, which I believe has the best collection of defensive talent 
in the entire football league, especially in the front seven. But I believe the Ravens will win it at 11 and 5, followed by the Browns at 10 and 6, the Steelers at 7 and 9, and then the Bengals at 6 and 10. I believe the Ravens 11 and 5 pull a little bit back this year, just because you usually don't go tremendous records back to back. Maybe you have double digit win seasons, but it's hard to win 13, 14 games in consecutive seasons. I believe the Browns, under a firm leader in Kevin Stefanski, get their act together and go 10-6. and six. They added more weapons. They got Austin Hooper out of Atlanta. They got Kareem Hunt all season this year. Odell Beckham hopefully healthy, not dealing with his issues. You got David Njoku, who's a great player. I believe Baker comes up and builds on his rookie year, not his sophomore year, and builds in year three. Now, the Steelers are the wild card here due to Big Ben's injury and the shape he returns in. They won seven games and almost made the playoffs with Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph at quarterback. So if Big Ben could be better than those guys, could they win eight or nine games and possibly sneak into the back end of the playoffs? Absolutely. But since we don't know that, we have to treat them as a Big Ben is just an average NFL starter, which would get them 79 in the division. And then Joe Burrow's Bengals have a great year, all things considered, and go 6-10. and 10. And it'll be a very, very tough division. But I believe that he'll pull up a little bit. They'll have something to build on. And then they, due to the right offseason acquisitions, they can build on something for next season. Now that gets us to the playoffs. We have the number one seed Chiefs, the number two seed Ravens, three Colts, four Bills. The start of the wild card will be the five seed Browns, six seed Texans, and seven seed Chargers. Now, that gets us to the Chargers at Ravens in the first round, which I have the Ravens winning. Texans at Colts in the first round, which I have the Texans winning. I believe Phillip Rivers are maybe wearing down older age and the mistakes come back. And I believe Browns at Bills, and I have the Browns winning. They're just a flat-out more talented team. And if the NFL didn't have the seeding rules they have, would be hosting a playoff game in the first round. That gets us to Texans at Chiefs, which I have the Chiefs winning. And then Browns at Ravens, which I have Baltimore winning. And gets Lamar Jackson versus Patrick Mahomes in the AFC title game, in which I have Patrick Mahomes outdueling Lamar Jackson and getting the Chiefs into the Super Bowl to play a road Super Bowl, the definition of a road game, against the Bucks in Tampa for the Super Bowl championship. In terms of the winner of that game, I honestly do not know. It is Tampa Bay in February, which means it could be an absolute rainstorm and the Chiefs' speed gets nullified by the ground being an absolute mud hole. Or it could be perfect weather and the Chiefs' track team is running all over the grass like they're playing basketball. Honestly, I have no idea. If I had to pick experience versus youth, I would go Brady. If I had to pick flat-out offensive talent or speed in general, I would go Chiefs. I think it depends on the weather. If I had to guess weather in Tampa Bay in February, I would go a little rainy, a little muddy, especially being a home game. It'll be 85, 15, maybe even 90, 10 bucks. So I guess I'd go with bucks in a very close game, 31, 28. The Chiefs are known for their defense and nobody can stop the Chiefs offense. So I would go 31, 28 Tampa Bay to win the Super Bowl and claim Tom Brady's seventh Super Bowl championship which will immortalize him beyond belief because it'll be his first one without the Patriots organization or Bill Belichick. Now, I think it'll be a great season. I think that the playoffs will be very interesting because the AFC will have seven great teams in it. 
one through seven. Chiefs, Ravens, Colts, Bills, Browns, Texans, and Chargers. All great football teams. Tyrod Taylor will probably be captaining one of the most talented teams in the league in the Chargers. And the whole reason why they aren't the division winner is because they'll be in the same division as Kansas City. You've got Cleveland, a very talented team. Who The only reason why they won't win their division is because they're in the same division as Baltimore. You have the Saints, who the only reason why they won't win their division is because they're in the same division as Tampa Bay. But I believe all in all, my predictions are pretty accurate. Uh, I have a system where I make everyone go three and three in their division. That way, even if somebody like Cincinnati might go one and five in their division, they might win a couple of games they shouldn't win. Or a team like Kansas City, who might go four and one, two or five and one in their division, might lose a couple of games they shouldn't. So in order to keep that kind of thing into consideration, I always make everybody go three and three in their division, then go from there. But all in all, I think my picks are pretty accurate. I'm so excited for this football season. I hope we get a full-fledged one in and not have to cancel or move or even play without fans. The NFL will be a little weird with a 75,000-seat stadium completely empty. I hope we get this thing going correctly. I hope it's a full-fledged season. But all in all, I cannot wait. And I hope you guys enjoyed the show today. Uh, follow me at JTown Sports. Subscribe to us and like us. Please keep this episode for future reference to comment against me on or anything like that. Uh, Subscribe, tell your friends, sports rivals, and I hope you guys enjoy it.